the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Everything in a local church should emanate from, should flow out of a healthy teaching of the Word of God. That is why it is such priority here at Cornerstone, and we have a ton of ministries at our church. But we don't exercise and involve ourselves in those ministries to the neglect of the Word of God. The Word of God always has to go forth first. Why? Because it's the Word of God. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. What changes a person's heart? It is not because a church offers a lot of ministries. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. In Acts chapter 6, the apostles are presented with a real problem. Some of the most helpless people, including widows, were being overlooked during food distribution. The leadership wisely knew that their main job was to teach God's Word. So they chose godly men to fix this administrative problem. In today's message, Pastor Gary points out that the most important job in any church is to make sure the people hear and understand Scripture, because it is through God's Word that we are changed. Therefore, pastors and teachers would be wise to delegate other administrative responsibilities. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for today's message from the book of Acts, chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, I'm going to read uh, the first section from verses 1 through 7. And we're going to see here the introduction of the ministry of the deacons, the deacon ministry. So chapter 6 verse 1 says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. 
So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. All right, so in this first section here, again, the church is relatively young. It is only a few years old since Jesus has returned, ascended back into heaven. And they've run into their first challenge of how to properly manage and care for the growing church. Now, back in chapter 4, it tells us that the church had grown to about 5,000. In chapter 5, it just becomes vague and it isn't numbered again after chapter 4. Chapter 5 just says many more men and women came to faith. And so at the time we get here to chapter 6, the church is somewhere, well, even verse 1 begins by saying in those days when the number of disciples was, increasing and disciples small d we're talking about all the followers of christ now the church the new testament church probably numbers somewhere around eight to ten thousand or more and when you get to be a, a large uh, you know church like that you have the tendency to start to uh, inadvertently unintentionally overlook the needs of people because because you know that's one of the downsides of a larger church the larger church gets it's easy for people to fall through the cracks so to speak you know one of the benefits of a small church is that everybody kind of knows each other and when somebody's missing from church you can call them and say hey notice you're missing how you doing oh i've been sick well, i didn't know that well, let me come and bring you a meal and so that kind of you know a more intimacy of a smaller congregation allows for you know better opportunity to know who's there who's not there who's who's had a death in the family who's had a baby who's all, all these kind of things when you start getting to 10,000 people it's easy for some people to get overlooked and that's that so this is the first challenge that the early church is facing here and it says that the Grecian Jews these are Jews from Greek from Greece they come here in Jerusalem and they they complain that their own widows are being overlooked now, the NIV, the NIV says being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. If you have a King James Bible, it says they're being overlooked in the daily ministration. It is a Greek word. The Greek word here is diakonia. D-I-A-K-O-N-I-A. Diakonia. And it is where we get our English word deacon. Now, how many of you have been uh, who are familiar with the term deacon, like in churches, the, the term deacon? Okay, so uh, many of you are, most of you are. Uh, the idea about deacons uh, were the, the ministry of deacons emerged from this story here in Acts chapter 6. I, my personal opinion is, though, that in, in some churches, the ministry of deacons has taken on something that it was never intended to be. Like, for example, in some churches, uh, the idea of the deacon ministry is, uh, is something that is often a governing body. In some churches, your deacons are your governing body. It's, it, you know, your deacons run the church. The deacons never ran the church. They never ran anything. They were lay leaders who stepped up to help meet a need. So for you note takers, here's the basic background behind the deacon ministry. It was born out of two desires. The first desire was to care for people who were being overlooked as the church grew. That's the first main desire. They realize there's some people here that are, that are you know, falling through the cracks. The, the widows in particular, they're not, they're not getting uh, their, their daily distribution of food. We're not taking care of them. We're not ministering to them. That's ministration in the King James Bible. And then the deacon ministry was also born out, number two, of a desire to keep the ministry of the word and prayer the priority of the church. The ministry of the word of God and prayer is to be always the priority of the church. So when the Grecian Jews come to 
The 12, verse 2, refers to them as the 12, capital T, all right? Because this is, this is a reference to the original group of the 12 apostles. Now they're, they're minus Judas at this point, and they're plus Matthias at this point, who is not mentioned again anywhere else in the Bible or in church history, by the way. So, you know, who knows whether Paul is really supposed to be the 12th. But anyway, the 12th man. The 12, they come to the 12, and when the 12 hear this, they recognize it's legitimate, that their complaint is legitimate. But they also say, but we can't take care of these widows ourselves because we don't want to. Notice again, verse 2, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. And that phrase, to wait on tables, is, is the verb form of diaconia. It's now diaconeo. Diaconeo, meaning, you know, there's a lot of ministry that needs to take place. There's some people who have needs, and, and we need to attend to those needs. But the 12 said, but we cannot neglect the ministry of the Word of God. Teaching the Bible and making sure that the church is built upon the foundation of the Word of God is absolutely paramount. Listen, every other ministry should flow out of the ministry of the Word of God. Everything in a local church should emanate from, should flow out of a healthy teaching of the Word of God. That is why it is such priority here at Cornerstone, and we have a ton of ministries at our church, but we don't exercise and involve ourselves in those ministries to the neglect of the Word of God. The Word of God always has to go forth first. Why? Because it's the Word of God. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. What changes a person's heart? It is not because... A church offers a lot of ministries. What changes a person's heart is because they hear the word of God and the power of the word of God does a good miraculous work in the heart of a person and they respond to the gospel, they respond to the word of God, their lives are changed and people get saved. When you start putting the Bible on a shelf and then just having a bunch of activities in in a church, it makes the church nothing more than a country club. Just a place where people can come and socialize and, and fellowship and have a cup of coffee and get to meet each other, which is an important component, the idea of fellowship and getting to meet each other and making friends, but never to the exclusion or neglect of the Word of God. And further down in verse uh, 4, the, the, the 12 apostles reiterate it. They say, and, and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So they, they coupled the ministry of the word with prayer. They said, look, listen, our, our most important thing is we got to be praying and we have to be teaching the word of God. So what you're saying here is legitimate, but, but we're going to need to choose some people in order to meet this legitimate need. So they begin to choose uh, what they instruct them to do here is to choose. Uh, and originally the first group of deacons were seven men. And here was their qualifications, who were full of the Spirit and wisdom. That's what verse 3 says right there in chapter 6. We, we, we just read it. Verse 3. Um, brothers, this is the instruction from the 12. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Those are the two qualifications. And so they do. Now, please note... That when they choose these seven men, and their names are listed there in verse 5, starting with Stephen. And Stephen is the guy who's going to get killed in chapter 7. So, you know, he, he becomes a very important person in, in the story here of Scripture. 
Uh, but if you notice the names, Stephen, I'm just going to read them again real quick. Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch. I want you to please note something. This is very important to note. Those are all Greek names. Now, why is that important to know? Who are the people doing the complaining? Look at your Bibles again. You're smart people. Look back up in verse 1. Who are the ones doing the complaining? The Jews from where? Greece. They're the Grecian Jews. So guess who gets to do the work if you complain? The Greeks. <laughs> My friends, that's been good advice for me in ministry. Let me tell you something. Because I have a lot of people making suggestions. Some of them good. Some of them not so good. But when they're good suggestions, you know what my answer is? Great. You get to do the work. Why? Well, because you, you brought out the idea, you know, and you're the one who's complaining about something. I didn't really want to do the work. I just want to tell you so you could do the work. No, that's not how it works. The person who complains gets to do the work. I see it right here in the Bible. This is delicious. Because it stops the complainers. Because everybody's got an idea. Like, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. You should, great. You want to fix it? Good. Do it. You, you go to work and do it. And here are the Greek guys who get called to, to work because the Grecian Jews are the ones complaining. All right? And so these guys get chosen here to do the work. Now, I want to make sure that you understand this, though. This is the original seven men selected for the original deacon ministry. But we see later in Scripture that it actually changes a little bit. In that, women get included. Because in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, Paul commends a woman by the name of Phoebe. And he says she's been a great minister. And again, it's that word diaconia. And it also translates servant because that's really what a minister is. A minister, you know, sometimes we kind of really put, you know, pastors, ministers on, on, a, on a, you know, a platform. Please, please don't put put us on a pedestal, all right? Because it just makes us fall a lot further, all right? And so, you know, and people are like reverend. You know, reverend. There's nothing reverend about me, all right? If you know me, if you know, there's nothing reverend about me. So, so here's the idea. It, sometimes we get confused that we think, you know, title means somebody special. No, it really, in its basic term, diaconia just means we're servants. Minister just means a servant. We're to be a servant. And Jesus modeled this, didn't he? He said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So, you know, in pastoral ministry, if we really want to follow the ministry of Jesus, we should be the first ones to serve and to help and just assist. But anyway, so here's what happens. So women get included because Paul says about Phoebe, she was a great minister. She was a great servant who attended to us in Paul's own ministry. And then we also see that the qualifications get jacked up from 2 to 12. No longer was it just full of the Spirit and wisdom. I want you to turn with me further in your New Testaments. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to see this because I want everybody to understand the, the role of deacons in the local church. And I'm going to share with you a little bit about our deacons here at Cornerstone so everybody understands what the ministry is about here as well. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, just keep going to the right a little bit after 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you'll come to... To after Thessalonians 1st and 2nd Timothy. So 1st Timothy chapter 3. These are the 12 qualifications for being a deacon. Now some churches say also related to the women, call them deaconesses. There's, there's no feminine word for deacon. So a deacon is just a man or a woman in the local church who's a lay person, who's just a lay person in the church who loves to serve other people. But they have to qualify. And here's the qualifications out of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Deacons, likewise, and if you read the verses ahead of it that we didn't, it talks about elders, overseers. 
So that's a different group of people in the church. But now, now Paul comes to the idea of deacons here in verse 8. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect. We'll get to the ladies in a second, but look at first for the men. Men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine. And that's an interesting point, by the way, because when you compare in the Bible the qualifications for being an elder and the qualifications for being a deacon, two offices that are mentioned in the Bible for the local church, elders and deacons, the qualifications are almost identical with one exception. Elders are not to be given to any wine. The Greek word is paraonos. Para means near, oinos means wine. Elders, pastors are not to be given to any wine. Deacons, on the other hand, not to be given to much wine. You could be two sheets to the wind, just not three. You know what I'm saying? Stagger a little, but just know that you're supposed to still do your job. But anyhow, so, so that's really the only difference between elders and deacons is this in this area of wine. And, it, and it's just kind of funny to me because it's like, you know, deacons, don't indulge in too much. All right? If you're going to get a little, you know, smashed, just not much. But anyway, and not pursuing dishonest gain. And they, there's a deacon right there. And they... <laughs> And they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. And they must first be tested. And then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Okay, so it's a tall order. And then in the same way, their wives. Now, these are women who would serve as deacons. Because, again, uh, literally, it, some of your uh, footnotes might say deaconesses. But it's referring to women who also serve as deacons not necessarily the wives of the, of the male deacons, are to be women worthy of respect and not malicious talkers, <laughs> but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife. There was polygamy back in those days, so be, be a man married to one woman and must manage his children and his, house, and, and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Okay? Then you go back to Acts 6 now. So that's the qualification for being, for being elders. Now, when our church uh, was about, I think I, our church size when we were about 300 people. We were about three years old. We were about 300 people. And, um, and I remember feeling that sense of people are getting overlooked. Because I'm only one person, I can only minister to so many people. And a general rule of thumb in ministry, a general rule of thumb is that you need one pastor for every 100 people. If you really want to effectively minister to a flock. A pastor of a, of a small church that has about 100 people. By the way, the average size church in America is 86 people. Okay, so one pastor can generally manage a flock if it has 100 people or, or under. Um, and I remember when our church got to be about 300 people, and I just began to feel like there's just no way I'm going to be able to meet the needs and you know attend to the, to the needs of people in our church. And I was actually reading through Acts chapter six, and um, and and felt prompted by the Lord, it's time to start a deacon ministry, uh, not not to be part of the governing leadership of the church. That's never what deacons were supposed to be about, but lay people in our congregation who would serve and who meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy chapter 3, but who would serve with just a genuine heart for people to, to love on them, go to the hospital, help me make hospital visits, uh, go into their homes if they, if they need to, to, to minister to, to some serious situation, pray with people down at the altar, um, you know, just be there and be those lay people who will help serve. And so you know, I remember choosing the original group of, of deacons that we had in the church, and one of the rules that I stipulated 
because you do see men and women who both serve as deacons in the New Testament. One of the rules I stipulated was that the men will only minister to men and the women will only minister to women. And couples, if they're married couples together, then they will, marry, they will minister to married couples. But I, I wanted to be very sensitive to gender-specific ministries, okay? You know, no, no, none of the mess that can be created when, when you try to do ministry, you know, to, to opposite gender. So men, you minister to men. Women, you minister to women. And I have to tell you that the Lord has, has always been so gracious to raise up a great group of deacons in our church. And I, and I don't typically use the term deacons to describe them. In fact, when I first started the ministry, the deacon ministry, I called them, and still call them to this day, the care team. The care team. Because if you've come from a church where deacon means perhaps they run the church, uh, or deacons mean, di- that word deacon means different things to different people. So I, I have called our group the care team, but they are modeled after deacons in the Bible, and they follow the qualifications for deacons out of 1 Timothy chapter 3. But I felt like there's no better place than right here in Acts chapter 6 talking about all this than to introduce you to some who serve as deacons in the life of the church. Now, some of our care team members are here tonight, and you know, I asked Pastor Mike Emerson for give me some pictures so I can put them up on the screen. So some of you are going to be like, ah, I would have given you a different picture. But, but, we, <laughs> but we worked with what we had, all right? Because it was a last-minute thing that I, I said today. I said, hey, I need to put some pictures up so people know who are here to help serve you and who are here uh, as part of the care team ministry. So here we go. There's 22 in the life of our church, all right? 22 people who serve as care team members in our church. And I just wanted to, by way, this is going to be real quick. You may never remember their faces or names again. But I want you to know some of these people who may end up showing up at your hospital bedside. Uh, you know, the pastors still do these things as well, but we just need more people to help us in these areas. Uh, these are going to be some people that you might uh, be, you know, see down front who will pray with you on a Wednesday night and who will just follow up with you with phone calls. We get prayer requests constantly. They might email you, hey, I'm a member of the care team. So here's the first uh, half of the, of the team. Uh, and just reading their names in case you can't, we have... Uh, uh, these are all. These all happen to be married couples here. Abraham and Ellen Evans. Uh, next to them, going uh, left to right on the top row, uh, Admiral Kurt and Anne Kemp. Uh, next to them, Ryan and Kristen Capel. And then on the bottom row, uh, from left to right, uh, Dr. Greg and Karen Law. And then next to them uh, are Gray and Lori Luther. And next to them are Jim and Teresa McKenzie. And then the other half of our group, uh, reading left to right on the top, uh, Dan and Sylvia Quinones. And then next to them, Doug and Irene Rowell. And then next to them are Derek and Kay Spruill. And then on the lower row, we have Eric and Jenny Wells. And then finally, Scott and Marie Wheaton. So these are some great folks who serve. And these are all volunteer folks. They're not, they're not paid staff here at the church at all. These are volunteer lay people in our congregation. They, they, uh, most of them, unless they're retired, most of them have uh, full-time jobs. And so they, they do the work of the ministry with the care team uh, when they can outside of their own regular working hours to help minister to the flock here at Cornerstone. And I just... I just uh, want to uh, appreciate them and let you know who they are. And let's just take a minute to appreciate our care team. So, 
So we, we try to, you know, here at Cornerstone, you know, I take seriously, what does the Bible teach us about the, the early church and how can we follow the model of the early church? And this is one way, by having some great people on our care team. Now, I want you to notice back here in Acts chapter 6, the result of delegating ministry. Okay, the result of delegating ministry. That's what the 12 did. They said, okay, wait, we got to focus on the ministry, the word, and prayer. The book of Acts is so full of the Holy Spirit and the joy of the newly formed church. Though Jesus has left the earth for an unknown time, he didn't leave his followers alone. He gave them the same gift offered to us even now, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. When we accept Jesus' sacrifice of love as our only hope for salvation, we automatically receive the Holy Spirit to help us as we grow in faith. Today, you too can have the Holy Spirit. We'd love to talk more with you about this. So please feel free to give us a call at 703-771-1500. If you already know Jesus, we'd still love to hear from you and be able to encourage and pray for you. Our number again is 703-771-1500. Are you in the Leesburg area? If so, come join us for our weekly services at Cornerstone Chapel. We meet each week on Sundays at 8.30, at 11.45 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Come get to know us better. Meet Pastor Gary, study the Bible, and spend time worshiping God for all he's done. Directions to Cornerstone Chapel can be found on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. Join us next time to learn more about the early church in the book of Acts, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not a Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.